All right, well, um, as I think Ben had said, Happy New Year, everybody. I hope you enjoyed your, uh, your break week. Uh, if you do take a break, I know some of you guys are working between Christmas and New Year's. Anyone else get a break that week? Anyone, anytime? Good, 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 excellent. Uh, it's the week between uh, Christmas and New Year's when you kind of forget to take out the trash because you don't really know what day it is. Uh, that, that's sort of what we were like. It's kind of in a daze. And we, like many of you, we are dealing with a little sickness here and there. We got over it. Um, it's also a really fun time for me and my kids uh, playing some Mario Kart. Any Mario Kart fans out there? Isn't it great? You know, you're, you're about to win the circuit and five feet in front of the finish line and someone, Bowser, hits you with a red shell and it's like all over and you throw the controller across the room and it's really a lot of fun. And you do it all over again and get mad and you're kind of grumpy, but it's, it's a lot of fun. It's really good. Uh, I also celebrated my um, 45th birthday uh, on January 2nd. Thank you. Thank you. And then a few days later, my wife celebrated her not as old as me's birthday, uh, which was great. And we, we, and we had a, um, a Connect dinner, which was fun, on Friday night. So here's a couple. There is uh, a few of the snapshots. Yes, there is Bindu and Jess and a large slice of pizza. I think Grant explained to Michelle that was the spicy one you just ate. Uh, but there was some good wings. And then, of course, this is the last supper of January that we celebrated together, which was a lot of fun. And my, I'm explaining to Mike, I think he's had a little too many of those seltzer waters. I guess a little bubby. So anyway, it's a fun time. So come out every once in a while. We will have those Connect dinners, and it's time for just hanging out, hanging out and have a lot of fun. We played a game, actually. It was a lot of fun. Kids were playing Mario Kart. And we were playing this little card game. It was kind of fun. Yes, yes, we did. We didn't go upstairs. It was actually the lower room, I think. Uh, we, we kept it downstairs for this one. All right, well, typically, like Sloan had mentioned, we start off often the new year. A lot of people start off in the year thinking about uh, their New Year's resolutions. So uh, just by a show of hands, does anyone have any New Year's resolutions? You don't have to say what they are, but is there anything you're thinking about? Okay, well, yeah, so... Yeah, a few fair number. I certainly have, you know, our New Year's resolutions. I always set a resolution to read a certain number of books. That's one of my things. I, um, I, one of my New Year's resolutions this year is fill up my digital trophy case in Mario Kart. I want to kill it. I want to get all gold, uh, gold trophies in, in you know, all the different new cups. My, uh, my son, for my birthday, he bought me the Mario Kart expansion pack. So I'm pretty excited about that. But you might be thinking, uh, one of the things that a lot of people like to do is they like to uh, get in shape for the new year. So they want to, uh, you know, get involved in a gym or they want to get their cardiovascular health up. Uh, and that's certainly important. You know, I like, as you know, many know, many of you know, I do CrossFit. And I strongly believe uh, that exercise is, as research has shown, a vital part of our overall well-being. And actually part of God's redemptive plan for each of our lives, and it's important that we do uh, pay attention to our physical bodies as part of who God made us to be. And before you start thinking that we're going to start doing burpees toward in the middle of the sermon somewhere, we're not going to do that, and actually not, that's not what we're going to be talking about directly, although it is vital and important, and maybe we'll do another sermon series on that sometime. But like Sloan had highlighted, we're going to be talking about getting into a different kind of shape. And that kind of shape is the way that God has shaped each and every one of us uniquely in who we've made us to be in his plan for each of our lives. And so the next week, actually, this week, this is shape week, get into shape week uh, for our church. And I want to help us emphasize and look at some of the ways that God has laid out the shape of uh, 
his plan for us and how we fit into each of that. Each of us are like a piece in that, in that plan. So we'll start by looking actually at a very interesting, and I find it interesting, for the first time we sang this song, Egypt, we had never sung that before, very interesting. We're going to look at the book of Exodus, some interesting passages in there, some more obscure passages actually we'll reference that help uh, give, give us a head start on the shape class. Um, so before we do that, let's, uh, let's spend some time praying. And today, let's lift up our buddy Mike, who's usually up front here. Uh, the recent news for him, he's been in the hospital for maybe over three weeks. It's almost four weeks at this point. And the last, so he's had some infections, and he decided, they decided that he needs to get an amputation. So it's pretty significant. Um, he has a lot of peace about it, um, but it's probably the best way. So let's just pray for him. Uh, that, you can imagine what it would be like to, to be in his position. So... Lord, thank you for your, your presence among us and your work in our lives in this new year, the start of the new year. We do pray. God, it, your, your word says that we commit all our plans to you and you will make our plans succeed. So Lord, we give all the plans and the desires of our hearts to you and pray that you would fill them and shape our hearts, shape our minds, our, our vision for who you're making us to be individually and as a community this year. Thank you for all the times of connection and life. We also pray specifically for Mike right now that you would help him in his recovery. We pray that the infection that was in his blood would be completely eliminated. Uh, we pray that there would be no more um, swelling or whatever bad effects are happening in his body uh, as a result of that. And we do comfort him and thank you, God, for your, your work of your presence in his life and how you're continuing to use him as a blessing to many people, even at the hospital where he is. And uh, we, we come before you, Lord. It's with gratitude in our hearts, but with uh, just a heart of desperation to have more of you in the midst of uh, the various things that each of us bring to the table today, the distractions or, or the difficulties, the sufferings. And, and thank you so much that you meet us here by your presence. And it's in your name that we pray all these things. Amen. Okay, very cool. All right, so we're going to be, uh, if, big picture, book of Exodus, uh, second book of the Bible, part of the Pentateuch, the law and the prophets. This is the law part of the Old Testament. Now, in the book of Exodus, uh, it is probably one of the most dynamic pictures of God's redemptive uh, plan for his people. And it's not only something that God had done for specific people at a specific time, but it paints a prophetic picture of what we sing about and celebrate as we move towards communion, what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. It is a beautiful picture, and some of the parts of the book of Exodus might seem a little bit confusing, but in fact, there's deep significance in each of those elements that we're going to talk a little bit more about today. I don't know, has anyone ever heard of Jordan Peterson? So he's done a lot of rewriting and reading, or writing about this, uh, actually some teaching courses, and he kind of, and he's a brilliant guy. I mean, I enjoyed reading some of his, um, his material. Uh, he takes a real, it's like a popular thing now, this is like a thing these days, where he's wrote, written about the book of Exodus. He takes large, largely, because he's a psychologist, a psychological kind of perspective, uh, an allegorical kind of take on it. And that can be helpful to some degree, but I, uh, if we keep it just at that, it, we miss out one of the main points, that this is ultimately a picture of God's plan, as, as Sloan had said, that you can, where people, wherever they are, they can come as they are and be restored to a dynamic relationship 
to know God himself and to become the people that God's created us to be. And the book of Exodus gives us that, that, that picture. It gives us the shape, of really, of the big story. So here's how the story goes. Briefly, book of Exodus, God's people had been living in the land of Egypt. They had favor. A new Pharaoh came to place, and they, they were so successful, God's people, so fruitful, that he was threatened by these people that were living in the land. So he began to oppress them, he made, forced them into labor, and this oppression increased and increased to the point where God's people cried out, cried out in pain and suffering. And so God raised up the leader. You remember him. You remember that you've maybe seen the cartoon or read the story. Moses. Moses comes and leads God's people, stands before Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh con- consistently hardens his heart. And so God uses that as an opportunity to show his glory and really overcome the the, the pagan gods of which each of those plagues represented. It gets really interesting until finally Pharaoh lets him go. They, they're released into the wilderness only to be chased by Pharaoh again and they're pressing in on them at the Red Sea. God sets the whole situation up and it looks like they're about to die but God's presence comes in between the Egyptian army and God's people, allows them to walk across the Red Sea The Egyptian army chases them across the Red Sea. The Red Sea falls upon them. They're destroyed and they're safe and they're living in the desert. And they're on their way to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, a place that God had prepared for them in advance in his desires to get there. But between them and the promised land lay a vast wasteland, a desert, which in biblical imagery represented death and destruction and temptation and evil. And in, in that place of desertion and desert lay many temptations, lay armies that were going to attack them, like actual sexual temptation of, among the other nations. There was, they were hungry. They were thirsty. They were away from home. They were unaccustomed. They were in transition. They, they were a people without a place to live. They were living, in fact, homeless and intense. And it was pretty intense for them to live in, in that time. And as they went out into the desert, God met them on the mountain at Sinai, uh, at Mount Sinai, and Moses, he invited Moses up to the mountain, gave him the Ten Commandments. He wrote them on the tablets, inscribed them, and he gave them many other commands as well, which is outlined in the book of Exodus. And you can see them in Leviticus as well as throughout the rest of the Pentateuch. And this is what God says in Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Let's pull that up. God tells his people... And he gives them this, this picture of the kind of big picture statement. He says, although the whole earth is mine, you, people, you plural, in Spanish it's ustedes, you, not just you, okay, you people will be from you people. I guess that you got, Philadelphia, it's you guys, right? Okay, you guys. Yeah, oh, yeah, we're not in the South, though. we're not talking like that. <laughs> although the whole earth, nothing against Southern people. Uh, <laughs> Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God set the Israelites apart from all the peoples of the earth to be his representatives to the rest of humanity. And in fact, to make God known among the earth. And then as we move into the New Testament, the apostle Peter, drawing on the idea that we see all throughout the Old Testament, wrote this to the early church concerning God's people. Let's look at 1 Peter 2.5. And this is just a slice of it. But he says, you also, again, you plural, you guys, like living stones 
are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay, so one of the keys, the key parts of understanding God's shape for your life is rooted in the calling that all of God's people, that all of us who call on the name of God or who are followers of Jesus uh, are part of. And that as a people, we are special to him. We are called. We are actually called to be a holy priesthood, to minister to him, to draw people into a place of worship. And we're called to be priests and ministers in the house of God and to create this space, this, this community that houses God's presence. So at Mount Sinai, he gave them the Ten Commandments, which Moses broke the first because he got so angry when they made this calf. Like they, they saw all of these miracles, and yet they still um, went real easily into a time of sin. But the Ten Commandments are actually divided in, I don't know if you realize this, into two kind of groups. The first four are about your relationship with God, and the, the last six are about your relation, or relationship with one another. So it's, remember when Jesus, they asked Jesus, what's the greatest command? Well, what are they? It's, there's two of them. Love God and love people. Love each other. So the Ten Commandments actually are a summary of all of the rest of the commandments. And the greatest commandments are a summary of the Ten Commandments, which if you forget what you're supposed to be doing with your life, just remember, breaks down to two things. Love God, love people, period. That's it. That, those are the commands that God gives to us. But in this book, there are so many different detailed rules and regulations. You may, upon reading this for the first time, be very confused. And it might seem overwhelming. And why am I reading this right now? I don't know if everyone encountered Old Testament and just tried to read through it. It's like, I'm kind of getting bored here. Like, what is with these lampstands and this incense that's poured into these bowls? Like, well, how is this supposed to help me? Well, it actually gets really interesting. We'll get into it in a second. But they included personal property, property loss, like insurance, like a built insurance kind of policies into the Old Testament law, um, proper sexual practices, for using what to do with the first fruits of the soil, God's commands against things like sorcery, all these various commands to help establish a government, a governing policy to help establish God's people in the new land in which he's sending them to. And they worked really well actually in transition as they're in the desert as well. And one of the key parts of this law is how the priests were to minister to make offerings and sacrifices to God and to interact with the people to make restitution for sin. Okay, so we get to chapter 26 and we get a picture of God's plan for what's called the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle was a temporary space that, was, that you couldn't really construct a temple in the middle of the desert, but they, he gave them plans for a tabernacle, which was something they could actually set up while they were transitioning and moving across the desert or stationary at different points. And the tabernacle had all kinds of details, curtains, rods, um, intricate designs that were very specific. And each of these designs, like a flower or a palm tree or a seraphim, all of these different things were very purposefully put into place by God to represent heavenly realities. In other words, the tabernacle was designed to mimic and symbolize the way that heaven itself was structured and set up. And so the very specific dimensions, every, every single detail was laid out on purpose so that the Israelites and ultimately God's people throughout the ages would have a deeper understanding of how heaven operated and how God's presence is. And they would have sacred garments for the priest, all of that. 
Um, and the role of the priest was really to minister at the tabernacle. And that, those, that's a key, key um, interpretive point we need to understand. That God's people, the priests, or the, the, the Levites in particular, their role was to minister to God and to the people at the tabernacle, particularly while they were in, in, in the desert. Now let's go back to what we just talked about. Remember book of Revelation? We get actually insight into what the tabernacle represented by reading the book of Revelation. And if you want to understand how to understand scripture, one of the best ways, probably the best way to understand scripture, is understanding the hyperlinking that happens within the scriptures themselves. Meaning that scripture interprets scripture. So if you look at a passage in the Old Testament and then say look at the other end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, you can see those connections. And there are so many different interesting connections. Okay, let me give you some examples. So what might a lampstand represent? Does anyone remember what the book of Revelation revealed what a lampstand was? Well, a lampstand represented the churches, right? The church, the church that was to be filled with oil, the oil being, oil represents the spirit, the presence of God, is, is the spirit of God. Then there's the fragrance that would come, there was incense that would come before the Lord on a continual basis. Incense, as we see in the book of Revelation, gives us so much interpretation, that represented the prayers that were offered before God. And then there's the whole sacrificial system in and of itself, which was a huge part of the whole thing. It was basically the central focus. And in the book of Revelation, we see this, this idea of the lamb, the sacrificial lamb, meaning Jesus. So Jesus is really the central figure of heaven itself. And the sacrificial system was a prophetic picture of what Jesus, who Jesus was uh, in, in that time. What else? There's... Um, there, oh, the clothing, the clothing itself. We see in the scriptures that clothing represents the character of Christ that we put on. And so the, these priests would put on specific garments with different uh, rubies and jaspers and um, you know, onyx, all these different kinds of stones, and that represents the character of Christ that we put on. So there's so much more to that. You could, we, we could actually do a whole sermon series on it, um, but the idea is even you know, the offerings, the whole point, the whole point of all these details, you read it, what is the whole point of this? The system that, that we set up in, in Exodus is that all of these details, all of these directions, all these commands, all of the structures that were set up for one purpose, to create a space where God could meet with his people and where his people could meet with him. A dwelling place where God could dwell among his people. Everything they did, down to the last detail, came down to that one very fact where God wanted to be with his people and his people could then commune with God. And that's the purpose of a temple, not only in uh, the, the Israelite culture and in what we see in the scripture, but even among the pagan cultures, they knew very clearly. And the whole point was to do this in a place in a foreign land ruled by oppressive leaders, by sin, sickness, false gods, and evil practices where God could meet with his people and know them and understand the heavenly presence of Jesus. And even then, God used people. So let's, focus, let's look at Exodus 31. You want to pull that up? And there's a very specific person here. He's one of my favorite lesser-known Bible characters. His name is Bezalel. In Exodus 31, he says this, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and bronze, and to cut and set stones, to work in wood and to engage in all 
kinds of crafts. Kind of reminds me of those guys. And I have the fa- you know I go on Facebook and I always get like caught up watching these videos of like people in India making these bronze bowls. I don't know why that pops up on my feed. I guess I'm just fascinated by making things. Like, wow, I'm like, an hour later, I'm like, okay, the bronze bowls were made, and there's the, the glass fish, and uh, I'm like, wait, what am I doing here? I, but some people are gifted and skilled, and God particularly gifted and skilled Bezalel to do these incredible things, and he actually led the charge to building the construction of the temple and all the various details that went with it. And God chooses people like Bezalel. You and me. He shapes them. He gifts them. He gives them his spirit. He gives them wisdom. He gives them skills for the work of creating a space where God would dwell by his spirit. And today, the building blocks, they may not be bronze bowls and uh, tremendous tapestries with, with heavenly beings on them, although that could, that, that, there's value to artistic beauty that helps reflect a kingdom reality, which, which is a value, too, in the kingdom. We're, we're a little bit more plain in our Protestant way of being, but there is something to artistic beauty and the nature of God's kingdom that we can experience as we worship it. However, with that said, the primary building blocks that God uses are his people. Let's look at Ephesians 2. This is what Paul writes. He says, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. And listen, look back. Paul is purposely using language that points back to the Exodus story here. He's drawing back from the Exodus story into their current circumstances. You're no longer foreigners and strangers in a wandering in the desert, but you're fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. And in him, the whole building is being joined together and rises to become a holy temple of the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place where God lives by his spirit. The whole purpose of God bringing us together, and that's why there's no Lone Ranger Christianity, is we were meant to be built together to become a dwelling place where God lives lives by his spirit. That's the purpose of all this. The purpose of this, these seats and camera and the carpet, I mean, we, it's the, it belongs to the site of Phil, these guys. But the reason we do all this stuff and all this work is this, to become a dwelling place where God lives by his, his spirit, to represent him to each other and to the world. Like Bezalel, you two were chosen, you were shaped, you were gifted, you were given skills for the purpose of becoming a dwelling place where God lives by his spirit. And this is the big shape of the big picture that we need to understand in order to first understand our own unique shape. We are a unique piece of this entire building. It's like the difference between a rock wall and a brick wall. Okay, A, rock, a brick wall is like all even and uniform. They're all the same. But in fact, the biblical pictures were more like a rock wall, a beautiful rock wall that's pieced together expertly. And each rock or stone has its own shape. But they, when you see it again, and a couple of folks in our church have, have these beautiful rock walls in their house. You can go see them. Mel's have a great one. Wong's have an excellent one. I, we have a fallen apart one. Uh, but it's still beautiful. And as you look at it, you can see how these stones are put pieced together in such a way to make a beautiful retaining wall or, or a wall that separate, you know, that provides a foundation, whatever the purpose of that particular wall might be. 
And this is a picture of the church, is that we each have a unique shape, but we all fit. The master planner, the architect, is able to fit those rocks together in such a precise way to create a dwelling space where God lives by his spirit. All right. For the next scripture, I want to read it through. If you like to follow along, I'm not going to post it. You can keep... I actually keep the picture of the rocks up there. It's a nice one. We'll keep it up. Um, and then we can, we can go blank. But I'm going to read from you a picture from Ephesians. Ephesians, uh, <laughs> Ephesians 4. Uh, and if you want to follow along, it's on page 1175 in your Bibles. Okay? So this, the book of Ephesians is perhaps my favorite book of the Bible. But Paul creates this picture. And I think this is a prophetic... Um, picture for us today, not only the church, but this is, uh, I think, God's maybe calling card for this year. If we could live this out together, I believe God would be greatly pleased, and this is the call for us as a church. Ephesians 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But there's the big picture. And he talks about, um, pause, Colossians. He, he, Paul writes a very similar letter to the Colossian church. And there he makes the connection between putting on the clothing. So this is the clothing, the patience, the unity, the, the humility that we put on as the character of Christ. These are the priestly garments that we wear as God's people when we do ministry. So there's the character and then there's the next part. Okay, so he goes on to say, but to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned. And that's why it says when he ascended on high and he gave gifts to men, and he, he led captives in his train and gave, gave gifts to mankind or to people. So Christ gave himself, first of all, to apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up and become mature until we all reach unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Okay, so what do we get here? This is the picture that we get of God's design for the church. We get a picture of Christ's design is that you see the fruit of the Spirit working together in conjunction with the gifts of the Spirit that create a community filled with the presence of the Spirit that helps reveal Jesus Christ to the world. This is the picture of the church and this is what God is doing today in our midst. God has shaped you on purpose, for purpose, by the power of his presence in order to be a representation of Jesus to the people of the world. He blesses us so that we can be a blessing to the world. I mean, this to me, how amazing is that? That we are the dwelling place, that we are the construction project that God is putting together so that we can be Jesus himself. We can house the presence of God for people. This is the incredible part of God's redemption and his primary plan is his people. We are the plan. You wonder and you see all the suffering in the world? 
What's God's plan? It's God's people are the plan. Filled, God's people filled with his presence, with a purpose, is the plan. I didn't plan all those P words, but it works really well. <laughs> so let me summarize. Let me summarize, and then I want to do a little fun thing for the last five minutes. All right. One of the greatest gifts that John Wimber, who's the founder of the Vineyard Movement, as you know, you, if you're new to our church, you might not know, we're part of a larger movement of churches, a denomination called the Vineyard. The, one of the greatest gifts that the founder of the Vineyard Movement, not the first churches, but the movement itself, John Wimber, the, one of the greatest gifts that he gave back to the body of Christ is this idea that church was not meant to be the professionals doing all the work and everyone just watching them do stuff. It's that people were empowered by the presence of God to be the ministers. And every one of us are part of this holy priesthood that are empowered by God's presence to do the work of the ministry. And so the way John, he would create these little phrases, the taglines, and the phrase that he liked to use is that everybody gets to play. If you are a person of God, you get to play. We are all players, so to speak, in the kingdom of God. Okay, so what I want you to do is, if you could bear with me for a second, I haven't done this style of teaching in ages, but it's kind of fun to change it up a little bit. So the last five minutes, if you could grab a paper for me, please, I have a white table, okay, and a pen, and we're going to do a little fill in the blank. Remember those fill in the blanks? I think there's some churches that are like, like, they're like really go fill in the blank kind of churches. I wouldn't say we're that kind, but we can be that way today. It's kind of fun. Rick Warren is one of my heroes, my pastor heroes from uh, out in California. I love that guy, but he's a fill-in-the-blank kind of guy, so he originally created this script that I kind of modified and made into the shape class, but here we go. Okay, so we're going to do some fill-in-the-blanks, and this actually, what I'm going to do is in order to um, extend the invitation into the shape class, which I would love everybody to take if you have not taken it, I want to give you the first few minutes of the class. So I'm going to give you a taste of shape in, in six minutes or left, five minutes or left. Okay, so we often start off the class, we have some fun. Shape class is fun connecting with other people too. It's just like the relationships you build with people in doing the shape class, it's a lot of fun. But outside of that, okay, here we are. So summary, the pastors and the teachers, okay, these are the folks that God has called, they are the equippers. That's what the scripture said. The past, he's called Ephesians 4. They're called the pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists. They are to equip the church for works of service. Okay? So that's the key. Or you could also, another way for a modern word that we use is coach. They're the coaches. Right? So they're the equippers or the coaches. The people, the people, so you, us, even myself included, they are the priests. Did you know that if you're a follower of Jesus, that you are a priest or minister? That's what the scripture says, that you're the priest. And the pastors and teachers there, well, they can be called priests or ministers too, but really you are the, minister, the priest or you can also put in there minister. It's the same thing, that you are a minister and a priest. What is ministry now? If you, before you start to get freaked out that I'm a priest and a minister, you might be like, oh, do I have to start wearing a collar and I start playing Mario Kart and stuff like that? No, you don't have to do that. What that means is simply ministry, diakonos, simply means to serve. That's what minister means. It means serving. It means giving yourself away for the sake of another. That's what it means. And so 
what that means that to our central identity and calling is that we are, and you can go on to the next one there, our, our calling, our identity, who we are, or who you are, is that you are a minister of Jesus Christ. You perhaps may have not have thought of yourself in that way, that that's who you are, biblically speaking, that you are a minister. And when you do that, and when you discover not only the big picture, the big story, you can see the wall that's being created, the building that's meant to house. Once you understand that, you understand that you play a role and you have a very specific role that God has planned in advance for you to do. Okay, that's Ephesians 1 and 2. God has planned in advance good works for you to be done. Okay, he has this very specific idea. When you discover your ministry, that's where you discover fruitfulness and fulfillment. In other words, when you are operating in your gifting, you will not only enjoy thoroughly serving, but you will be most effective in being able in the lives of other people. Okay, another modern phrase to use, that's your sweet spot. It's where the fruitfulness and the fulfillment is going to be found, is when those two come together. And that's when you're serving in your shape. And so, all that's to say is that your ministry, if you want to learn how to serve others, you're the way to serve other people, not just within the church, but outside, but it's ultimately about building the church, your ministry is determined by your shape. And Rick Warren was clever enough to come up with the, um, the acronym there that represents the S-H-A-P-E actually have, so on Friday night, this Friday night, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts, okay? We're going to teach you about all the gifts, or many of the gifts at least. Uh, we're going to give you an opportunity to practice those gifts. We do that in small groups too, but we're going to be a little bit more focused on that. And then on Saturday, we got a couple special guest speakers, Ben Mel being one of them, I think. He'll be there. He'll, he'll be there. And you want to hear what this guy has to say about the, with the tool. He's, he's going to help us talk about our personalities, our personality types. He is really geeks out on this kind of stuff. You want to hear what he has to teach about that. It's on Saturday, and then I think, another I think, he has to confirm, but he said yes so far. John Chafee is going to help us understand our hearts. So he's going to be teaching a little bit as well. So we got a good dynamic duo there. You don't want to miss that. That's going to be on Saturday. This is at our house. And then next Sunday, we're going to cap it off. We're actually doing the last part of the shape class on Sunday, in which we're going to talk about our experiences and how God uses our experiences, particularly the painful ones, to shape us for who we're going to be. Okay, and then once you, once you end up is at the end, you're going to do tools, and you have to sign up. Listen, I, in order to get the most out of it, the sooner you sign up, the better, because I'm going to send you a tool, an online tool to take out a survey that'll give you some results that then you can, will be explained in the class. So you're going to take a personality test and a spiritual gifts inventory, and we might have one other, but those are the two main ones, okay? So that's what's going to happen. So that's why we want you to sign up so I can get you that information in advance. And so the two goals of the class, okay? One is to discover your unique shape. I'm back on the paper if you like filling in the blanks. Discover your unique shape, and then secondly, to commit to using your God-given gifts. Because it's not just about learning, it's about putting them into practice. And the idea is when you come out of the class, you're going to have a paper that summarizes, it takes all of these tools, it takes your spiritual gifts and your heart and your abilities and your personality and your experiences, puts them into one kind of summary document 
that then you can have and see a picture of your own shape a little bit more clearly, even though you probably have all these pieces and experiences because it's all in you. To see it in one place is, very, is, is, is a powerful experience. And then we're going to follow up. I'm going to do a one-on-one kind of exit interview to help you take those next steps in what God's called you to be. This is one of my favorite things to do. And as God has gifted me and called me to be a, an equipper, this is what brings me life. There's almost nothing I enjoy more than helping empower other people to do the works of the ministry. So this is Get in Shape Week. I'd encourage you, if you haven't done it, get involved, sign up. It's worthwhile the investment of your time. It, not only just for the content itself, but for connecting with other, peoples, uh, other people and helping build your relationships there. It's, it's, it's always been a blessing for me every time I've done it. All right. So that and that thus concludes the message for today. We're going to move into a, a time of communion. Did I leave any more blanks? I think I got them. Oh, that, 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 that. Yes. Oh, yes. Those. That, you have to come to the class to get those blanks. Ah, so I'll give you some, but not enough. Just to witch your appetite. <laughs> anyway, we'll conclude there.